So the Pachubanantama here and now, this relentless reminding oneself. Enlightenment is now, liberation is now. So this is a reflection, it's not a command or an imperative, it's a reminder. And then of course, you know, if you say that, if you say liberation is now, enlightenment is now, then maybe the self will come into it. I mean, what, what does that mean? Am I enlightened now or? Because on a condition level, of course, we see ourselves from the, uh, the personality view, <clears throat> the thinking mind, as this individual body, this person. But I, I, kind of, I found it very helpful in my own practice to always bring that reminder into the present, enlightenment here and now, liberation now. And then to observe the, how the personality or the emotional habits arise. <clears throat> Who gets enlightened? What is it that's enlightened here and now? I don't feel enlightened. This morning I'm just sleepy and woke up in a grumpy mood and I don't feel that I can, that there's any enlightenment in me at this moment, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> or whatever. Or just doubt or what is he talking about? So <laughs> I'm not saying that, that I'm enlightened as a person here and now. You know, it's not like me as uh, Ajahn Sumedho, or a person, or an individual claiming that I'm enlightened. It's a, it's reflective remembering, recognition. And so like in the Akalika Dhamma, timelessness. Timelessness is now. And, and so the, you have this, keep reminding yourself that tomorrow, the future is the unknown, the past is a memory. And then keep remembering that there's only the now, you know, and experience is now. You can imagine having a happy future, but that wish or hope or desire for a happy future is now. So you're remembering the past, it's the memories arise here and now, wherever that, wherever you are. <clears throat> in the temple, in your kuti, on an airplane, in London, or wherever, it doesn't matter. The, the time is now, the place is here. So that's why I encourage you to really observe this sense of yourself as I'm a, this person with these problems, 
uh, I need to practice meditation, get my samadhi, so that I can become enlightened before I die, or sometime in the future. So this is a, there's this, this is a thought, this is a perception, it is what it is, you know, not saying it's right or wrong. But with the Vipassana meditation, you're looking, you're observing things as they are, not as they seem to be. So on a personal level, you know, it's about seeming and how I feel, how the the mood, the here and now affects me personally. Am I happy, sad, elated, depressed, bored, confused? Or how do you see yourself as a person, you know? and feel about yourself as a person, as an individual. And of course these are, you know, when, if we don't have this perspective, then of course we're always operating from this sense of, I've got to get something I don't have yet. And what I have now, or, you know, I see faults and weaknesses uh, <clears throat> I have anger and greed and uh, fears. I've got to get rid of these. And uh, I've got to really work on myself, improve myself. And so this Pachubhanatama here and now, now using this, when when I think this, when I reflect on this, just using this word, Pachubhanadhamma, or Puto, then <clears throat> it's a condition in itself. But it's not an attachment, it's merely a skillful means. The priority is here and now, not about you attaining and becoming, or however you conceive yourself as capable, incapable, good meditator, not very good, but uh, this continuous reminding, sati sampachanya. So, like the temple here is uh, how to use this temple for that reminding, the Buddha Rupa, or the Bodhinyana Hall, or the Sala or the Ubon room, or your own kuti, or the retreat center. You know, the place is, uh, this place is filled with Buddha images everywhere. <laughs> In the garden. <laughs> and so, these are, you know, these can be just seen aesthetically or <clears throat> just ignored or whatever, but actually using these Buddha images as a reminder, here and now, Pachubhanatama Puto. And then that sense of, of uh, where the gap, where the mind, the thinking mind packs up for a while, stops, nonplussed, Shocked. 
There's a sense of awe, isn't it, when you when you have this, when you look up at the stars at night, or the full moon, or and look at a, a Grand Canyon or a beautiful scene or something where this you feel this sense of awe. What is awe? It's where your thinking mind stops, isn't it? It's nonplussed. It can't. It just stops rattling on, and you're and you're stunned or awed by maybe beauty or mystery. Or one could live in this world, just, you know, the beautiful night, and uh, go to the Grand Canyon, see, you know, go to the top of Mount Everest, and be always concerned with yourself. Now, I feel like this, and I don't like that. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bill? How am I got a bad relationship with this person? Don't get along with the boss. And so, so you know, on a personal level, we can just be carried into this dreary world of me and mine and all its petty little concerns, worries, <clears throat> obsessions, and not, you know, and, and be in the most, you know, wonderful places and not even notice. But we can't live in the top of Mount Everest or a place like that, so we have Buddha images or Shrines. So we've had, you know, built this, <clears throat> improved the shrine here in the temple recently, uh, which I like very much. Uh, thanks to the efforts of Ajahn Gandasilo and, and the uh, John Groves. <clears throat> so they, I asked them to, to do it. And so they, they did, they, you know, something that it, it aesthetically pleases me. I like looking at it. <clears throat> so that helped, I mean, at least, it, you know, attractive or beauty draws your attention. But it's not the ultimate, it's not just about having beautiful objects to look at, is it? It's about, it's one could just be caught up with aesthetics. <clears throat> but it's, uh, and one does you know, that becomes full of my view and what I think is beautiful and what I don't like. But that's not the point of the shrine, it's to remind us of Bhutto Pachubhanatamma, Anatta, emptiness. Uh, 
Now that's up to you how you, you know, how you use the situation you're in. <clears throat> but the encouragement is, is always this awareness reflecting from this position of puto rather than from me and what I think and my feelings. It's very interesting spending so many years doing this, reflecting, meditating this way. Uh, because, you know, you do, you know, seeing the, the personality. I've seen my personality offer. I know how it works. I'm a, I'm a, I've become a witness of my personal habits, my tendencies uh, as a personality as an individual, as a, this, this body, this being here. So it, it, it's like the knowing then is not, is not judgmental even, it's just knowing the, the vipaka kama of this creature, of this form, having been born, <clears throat> you know, it's this, it's 75 years old. So, the, and this is, these are perceptions in terms of age of the body, isn't it? But if this would not be 75 years old if it was never born, which is a kind of obvious truism. <laughs> but it is an important reflection. Birth, is, you know, this is the result of birth. Being old is the result of being born. <clears throat> and this is just the way it is. It's not judging it and saying it's good or bad, but it is like this. So this is Puto observing Tamo, or the Buddha and the Dhamma. And so, you know, when people say, you know, they, they get diseases, terminal illnesses, cancer, they lose uh, the, what they love, their life can be, uh, you know, a continuous experience of stress and pain and misery. And they say, why me? Because it's taken all as, in a very personal way, because we don't know anybody, we have no other perspective. And then from this perspective, puto, knowing Dhamma, then it's the result of birth. Everything goes back. If, you, if none of us were born, we wouldn't have any, you know, we wouldn't be old, having old bodies, or we wouldn't be nuns or monks, senior, junior, Thai or English, male or female, we wouldn't have any of these. It's because of birth, isn't that? Physical birth that we have bodies like this, male bodies, female bodies, <clears throat> identities uh, in terms of nationality, race, identifying with the age of the body, with appearance, you know, what it looks like with the color of the skin, I don't know, like this. 
with perceptions like being Jewish or white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or black. I mean, these are, these are projections onto the conditions. Uh, <clears throat> being Christian, Protestant, Catholic, atheist, Buddhist, Theravadan, Mahayana, Muslim, whatever. These are human-made projections, you know, concepts that we, we grasp, you know, out of ignorance. Now, not saying these concepts, are, not judging them, but recognizing <clears throat> they're, you know, they, they are what they are. Like sexual identities, so say being gay or bisexual or heterosexual. These are projections onto the karma we have regarding sexual habits or tendencies. <clears throat> And these can be our identity for our life, how we live our life, always through, you know, identifying with a perception. Like uh, Jewish people always have a strong sense of, of that identity, you know, being Jewish, which is separate. I don't have such a strong a racial or ethnic identity. It's It's never been... And, you know, a kind of strong identity of <clears throat> that's been important to me to be a white man or something. It's just not, doesn't seem, you know, anything I'm going to fight for or die for or dedicate my life to. <clears throat> but, you know, most Jewish people very determined to hold that identity and make that a very dominant one. There's nothing wrong with the identity, but it is a perception in terms of Pachubanatama, isn't it? It's about here and now. Or being gay, this is a strong issue at this time. You know, the sexual identities that bring up a strong sense of uh, identity with sexual tendencies. And these can become, you know, how we live our life just, you know, with this perception of ourselves, never questioning, never getting beyond it, but merely experiencing life through uh, clinging to this, this view. And it's not that I'm criticizing the view, but it's noticing the suffering that, that is created, the separation. If, you know, if you cling to something like Whatever, it always, you feel separated from, from the condition that isn't that way. So if you're Jewish, 
you're identified with that, then you feel very separate from Gentiles. There's two kinds of human beings, Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> so, I mean, if this is your sole identity and your kind of obsession, then you're always going to feel threatened by that, not because of being Jewish, but by ignorant clinging to that identity. Or if you, if you see yourself as gay as being your main identity, then you're always going to feel in opposition to those who, are, who don't have that identity. So, I mean, it's, uh, this is, you know, clinging to a, or being just male or female. If you're, if you're obsessed with, about, with the gender of being a man or woman, then it always feel opposed to the opposite. It's a separate sense of me and mine and a defense of it or a, a, a dis dislike of it. One can, can hate uh, one's gender or hate one's sexual tendencies or hate one's uh, national identity. So is, you know, the real world, is that, is it these various perceptions? Because we get, when we're born, then we get whatever, you know, whatever our parents give us. You know, they, they tell us these things, or we, we have vipaka kama, we have tendencies, genetic or cultural or what, tendencies towards various, uh, preferences and so in this puto tamo you know this then we we actually have a way of observing and it's not in denying or destroying but in putting them in their proper place conditioned phenomena is like this all conditions are impermanent all Dhamma is not self. So then, either <coughs> being a gypsy or, <laughs> uh, you know, being English or you know, then we can be very identified as being from Yorkshire or Lancaster or Southern. <clears throat> I mean, any of, these ten, any of these identities are, you know, they are what they are. So it's not, this is not passing judgment, it's observing. When I identify myself as American, then I, you know, I feel that's, you know, that they're those that don't identify with being American. So it's Americans against the rest of the world. <laughs> or if you're whatever nationality you're particularly obsessed with, with being. Or maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe, you know, you don't really have strong sense of being British or European or whatever. And, or you don't, you know, have, maybe you don't have strong identities of any sort, but you would like them to belong to a group, 
to have a to have a club or a group or a cause to identify with, to be somebody with a purpose, belong to the right group, the right social group, to be, you know, and so, you know, here in England is a surprising to an American how strongly class identities are in this country. You know, like working class in this kind of people with working class, I've seen them where they, that's their, that's how they view life and their relationship to the societies. I'm working class or middle class, upper class, upper middle class, lower middle class. So that's the, you know, the cultural, one of the cultural uh, conditions of this society, and it, it's not, it's not nothing wrong with it, but it, uh, if it's identified with, if it's grasped blindly, then it, it is a form of alienation from the rest, separateness, separating. Now just contemplate this uh, Pachubanatama, it's not, it doesn't separate you, it brings you into the totality of the moment. Because it's not, it's before the personality arises or the separateness arises. Me and mine and my life and my body and all that. So this is like to, to really cherish this, this moment of just all-encompassing openness, receptivity to the present. And this is, uh, you know, the gift of our human condition. <clears throat> we can actually do this. This is not just theoretical and asking you to do something, you know, that'd be nice if we could, but we can't, nobody can really do it. But it is, it's very simple, very direct. But when you think about it, you're going to get all confused because thinking itself, the thinking process, its function is to divide and separate, to make judgments, to criticize. And that's what thinking does, isn't it? When you think about yourself or <clears throat> about anything at all, it's, you, you create divisions <clears throat> in your mind because that's what thinking does. It's for comparing this is bigger, smaller. This is the best, that's the worst. This is, this is right and that's wrong. This is normal and that's abnormal. So, and that's, now that's thinking, which is, has this, this dualistic division as a result of attaching to thinking, to perception, to conception, out of ignorance, then we, we're, we're always in this state of fear or anxiety or separation. There's always an enemy, an alien, a dark force, uh, something that opposes me in some way 
or could or seems as ghosts in the in the in the uh, forest. There can be all kinds of imagined enemies and dark forces and demons in a dark night in, in the woods. You can create all kinds of benevolent forces in the sky, you know, the angels, the devadas, the ethereal uh, heavenly creatures that love me and protect me. But then there's ethereal creatures that love and protect me. There's also devils and demons uh, that want to hurt me and harm me. So this is this structure is is the division that's caused through attachment to Sakayaditi, Silabata Baramasa Vijikicha. You're always creating, you know, whatever you attach to it has its opposite. So, being aware of this, not to destroy the conditioned realm, but to, to no longer be deluded by it. So like your own personality, whatever it may be, you know, because it changes, and how you, whether you're feeling happy or sad, depends on other conditions. You can't feel happy if, you know, if you're sick and, and nobody loves you and you find out you have fatal disease and uh, you're alone and out in the cold. The conditions for happiness are not there. <laughs> and so then we become miserable and lost because the conditions for that particular feeling are present. Feeling lost, alone, out in a cold, disease, sick, unwanted, rejected. Then there's the awareness of that. You know, awareness that if you're happy or miserable, now this is uh, this awareness is not happy or miserable. It doesn't, it doesn't take on the condition and, uh, and you know, unless you're ignorant, if, you're a, if there's a vicha, then your conscious experience of life is always uh, permeated with this sense of good, bad, right and wrong. But if you begin to recognize this purity of conscious awareness in the present, uh, you know, then the misery or the joy is, you know, is recognized. It is the way it is. But our refuge is not in, in, the, in the condition anymore, but in this knowing, in this awareness. So that's, that's the uh, liberation from birth and death. You know, the whole point of our life now as Samanas is liberation. 
from ignorance, from birth and death, Amaravati, deathless route. <clears throat> that's the goal, that's the, that's our aim to, to not just to, uh, you know, believe in something called deathless, but to be that, to keep reminding that this death-bound condition that we call my body is, uh, you know, it's going to die. <laughs> you know, this is it's not going to live forever. And, uh, and then the result of having lived this many years is, you know, the, the conditions of an old body. And then the, the result of, of living as a Buddhist monk for so many years is like this. And because of the you know, the emphasis of this, this uh, tradition. Then, you know, over the years, I've been able to, you know, really sort things out to see, get this perspective, uh, you know, for, you know and, and cultivate this awareness. Put it to a test, experiment with it. Investigate. It's not just a, you know, it's not based on believing in Buddhism at all. So the result of, this is the completion of my 43rd Vasa as a bhikkhu. Then I had one year as a Samanera. So, you know, that's 44 years of... Uh, you know, of, uh, of, of, from, you know, of this lifespan of this body that's been dedicated towards liberation. You know, moving, always remembering, cultivating. Through the trials and tribulations, vipaka, kama, successes, failures, praise and blame that, that, that I experience in, you know, in whatever ways. Because uh, becoming a monk or nun doesn't mean you get out of everything, or you know, you're, you're kind of in a realm where, you know, everybody's just so sweet and nice and fair and good and, and understanding. But as you all know, living in, in communities is like this, you know, where you have so many different people to live with, with different karmic tendencies different attitudes, different expectations. How many of you really come into this life for liberation? Complete liberation from birth and death or come into this life to get some peace or belong to a nice group of people or what are you expecting from becoming, ordaining as a samana? <clears throat> You know, what, what do you expect from it on a personal level? What do you hope to get out of it?
So, you know, that we can have different expectations and hopes. And we come into this life with that. You know, we come in with this idea, I'm, I'm ignorant, unenlightened person that needs to do something, hoping that this, this kind of life will, you know, help me in some way. You have some kind of interest, uh, faith enough to, to make some commitment to it. You know, to try it out at least, see what happens. But if this life increases Sakya Diti Silabhattabharamasavichikicha, don't blame the tradition. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you, you know how, how more direct can I be, you know, in pointing at, at what we're, you know, the aim of this life is liberation. And if, if you're not liberated, then what are you attached to? What, is, what still binds you to samsara? To the sense of yourself, uh, your identities? Because that's certainly not the goal of our life or not what I try to encourage. I don't want to create any more, I don't want to reinforce Sakya Ditti in any of you. I don't want to, because uh, I'm in a position of authority, you know, where you have to listen to me in the past week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in a senior position, so I have authority. Now, using that authority for pointing, you know, not at myself or at what I think or believe in as a person, but always pointing at Pachubanatama, liberation here and now, and then giving this sense of, you know, go for it, do it, don't just wonder about whether you can or not, or whether maybe I'm just, you know, deluded monk. You know, you don't know, maybe, I'm, maybe I've got it all wrong. <clears throat> But the point is not to spend your time figuring out whether I'm right or wrong, but the, what I'm trying to do is encourage you to put it to the test, to really, you know, cultivate, investigate this, putch, this present, here and now, this body, this, these emotions, these memories, thoughts, habits, happiness, misery, Whatever, whatever you're feeling in this moment. And then to really question that which is aware, if I'm feeling unhappy and unloved at this moment, that which is aware of that, you know, so you know, right now I just feel so depressed and so disappointed because of... But you know that that's a feeling you have in the present moment. What is it that knows that? So this is like inquiring into the present. There's feeling anger in the present. Somebody said something that made, made me feel angry. I feel angry because you 
called me snot-nosed. There's a knowing of anger, isn't there? What is it that knows that? And so, like questioning that that that, that, is, that ability to observe that you feel this 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 ha this feeling in the present is like this. Now that uh, that awareness, that's consciousness. You don't go unconscious. There's consciousness combined with mindfulness, and then panya wisdom discernment. So you discern this awareness. It's not sad or happy or angry or greedy. But it certainly recognizes that on an emotional level I might feel sad, angry, greedy, frightened, whatever it's like. And so <clears throat> just beginning to, to discern, know, that this, this awareness and its object, the emotional state you're, you're aware of. Now as a person, you can't be aware of being aware. You know, so, uh, you know, in trying to, <clears throat> you know, trying to play games with your mind, I'm trying to be aware of being aware. It's not, you can't be aware of being aware. You can recognize awareness when there is and when there isn't. Now when I get caught up in, in, uh, in a mood or emotion, then I become an angry person. And if there's, you know, if there's not awareness of this, then it's like just a reaction. You, you say, Ajahn Samedo's snot-nosed bully, and then, uh, and then I feel angry, and then how dare you talk to me like you should be respectful. And then I become angry and then uh, then, uh, then that's a, a rebirth isn't it that's rebirth when I become you know somebody insults me and then I get become angry and and I become an angry man and then I say things or do things from that that's rebirth that's another birth becoming isn't it it's a that's what rebirth is about, becoming something, becoming a condition. Or knowing a condition is not becoming that condition. So like mindfulness is, is uh, our ability to observe. And this, this is what struck me when I went to stay with Lung Po Cha. <clears throat> it was, uh, they use this Bouteau mantra all the time. And then, and then, they, then they translate it into Thai Puru, which is a one who knows, the knowing. 
Well, before that, before I met Lung Pong Cha, I'd always seen Buddha as a kind, in a very kind of an academic way. You know, something, you know, like a prophet or, you know, the founder of Buddhism. Or It was more historical or academic use of the word Buddha. And then, uh, and then because of uh, this emphasis on Puto in Watpapong, then, uh, and then as I learned Thai language, you know, to find, say, Purul, to know, the knowing, that which knows. And suddenly I got the point, you know, it, it kind of, the, the penny dropped, you know, something, you know, it's, that that really helps me to know to have this. It's not just kind of being Buddhist and and respecting Buddha and and having definitions of Buddha. But it's actually much more direct than than all that. You know, it's not it's not merely uh, academic or conceptual, but it's immediate. This ability to be a witness to the present. So then, of course, the ego says, well, who is it that knows then? Who's the puru? Who's the knowing? Who, what is it that knows? And then, then, of course, well, it's Buddha that knows. So there must be a kind of, I'll call it Buddha. So then, if I, there's a Buddha inside me that knows, then it gets into silliness, doesn't it? It's this kind of, you know, reinforcing the sense that I'm somebody with a, with a little Buddha inside me that knows. So it's not being silly or claiming it, but in, it's, it's to say, do it, you know, be the knowing, be this awakened knowing now, Pachubanadhamma, the way it is, which includes, you know, maybe uh, whatever you're feeling. It includes everything of this present moment. Everything that you're feeling, experiencing, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, belongs in this moment. Everything, you know, there's not a matter of, uh, even if it's anger or some nasty thought or whatever, it belongs. The demon, the angel, it all belongs if it, you know, if it's present here and now. But then your relationship to it changes from me and mine to knowing all conditions are impermanent because you, you're, you're, you're no longer trying to control and uh, divide the situation by getting rid of the demons and holding on to the angels. But you, you're actually allowing, there's room for all of that in this present moment because you are this totality rather than this person that's got to sort everything out and get rid of the bad and hold on to the good. So then we have the, the structures, the conventional structures of monasticism. 
which are about doing good and refraining from doing bad. You know, so like Vinaya. Vinaya is all about proper behavior and, and things like that, to do good, refrain from doing bad. It doesn't mean that we, if, if everything's the same, all conditions are just impermanent, then we can, you know, do any of them. It's not what they call antinomianism, do whatever you feel like in the moment, but when you commit yourself to this form, then you're committing yourself to the sila, or to do good intention to use the bodies we have and the ability to speak no, no longer as divisive personal habits, but being responsible for, you know, not, not deliberately harming or insulting or deluding, uh, misusing, exploiting. So this is uh, this this because the mor moral precepts, morality, do good, refrain from doing bad. It's interesting, and at a time like this, which is so idealistic about rights, you know, free speech, free speech. You know, the, listening to some of the discussions on Radio Four about views about freedom of speech. You know, so it's. You know, do, do Nazis have the right to come in, set, talk about, uh, you know, anti-Semitism? Because they're free. You know, is it, you know, it's free speech. People should be able to say anything. This is a land where we, we're free to say what we think. And so this, this free speech is an ideal, isn't it? <clears throat> Freedom of speech means that we are, you know, we have this sense we can say what we think or we, you know, we're not going to be punished or persecuted by uh, saying, you know, not by saying the critical things about the government or about others. We're in a, in a kind of tyrannical society, you know, you've got the, these different uh, secret service organizations on your neck, the minute you, you say, something against the government. But here we can say, oh, the Labour Party's rubbish. <laughs> you hear that all the time now. <laughs> the Labour Party really is in the pits of people's critical minds. And you're not going to be arrested for it or, you know, for, for criticizing. But then how much you know, then there's right speech, you know, like samawaja in, in, in our sense. What's the difference between free speech and right speech? So in, the, in this way, you know, right speech is, is being able to discern what is appropriate. What, what is just me being angry and prejudiced and and just spouting off my angry views and biases about the government or the people or whatever.
is that, that's not right speech, is it? And yet I can still have the, the assumption from the free speech ideal that I, can, I have a right to say whatever. And so like in reflection, like being able to, to observe, if I, if I use bad speech, uh, speak in anger, if I speak in anger, if I, uh, you know, cause division, I'm deliberately putting down, uh, uh, insulting, demeaning, lying or whatever. And I put this into speech, then uh, what is the result of that? You know, from the Puto position, then I can see that it, you know, it makes me feel, you know, if I tell a lie, nobody may know, but I do. And that's Hiriotapa, you know, I could tell you all lies and you might not know that I'm lying, but I know. What is that? There's a knowing, isn't it? There's a knowing when I'm speaking from anger. If I'm just spouting off because I'm angry with you and I'm just chastising you and blaming you for all my misery in the world and the problems uh, of modern life, <clears throat> or finding some scapegoat, some group to, to point to and say, hate them, they're the evil forces. You know, if there's awareness, that is not a very, that's, that's an ugly state of mind to, to uh, grasp. You know, being angry, anger is a really, you know, very powerful emotion. And, uh, and, it, uh, and if, you, if you don't know it, then you just live in that, you know, you, people get angry very easily and then they get overwhelmed with their anger. And then we can say things in anger or act on anger and do very harmful things to ourselves or others. But in Samawaja, then right speech, it's not about political correctness, trying to be so polite that nobody's ever offended. Because then it goes into being precious and where you're afraid to say anything very directly because whatever you say is going to offend somebody, or it might. So we can, we can go the other extreme, not wanting to say anything because it might upset somebody. But so, so Samawaja, from the insight level then, this is the Eightfold Path, or perfect speech, to say, in, in, from the uh, Four Noble Truths level, where the insights into these Noble Truths leads to the four, you know, the first three. Then the fourth is Samaditi, perfect understanding of truth. So then it's, then the Samawaja comes from wisdom, from like how we, we use speech. Then it's coming from wisdom rather than from prejudice, 
moods, anger, taking sides, trying to be polite and nice about everything, trying to, to ignore, just using speech to, to feel good. Or you use speech to harm and insult, to use our speech to, you know, or just to, you know, believe in our own, what we're thinking. How many of you really believe in, in every thought that you have? I don't believe in any of them, my thoughts. Because, you know, it's still the vipaka kama of, of this being here arises. So it has its certain tendencies, certain inclinations, certain preferences, things like this. Not that, that I don't, as a person, have any more preferences. But it's knowing those, not, not grasping those, not, not operating from personal uh, personality habits. So it's awakening to the... So then the personality is, you know, some, we all have different personalities. <clears throat> so like in Thailand, for example, you've got, say, Lung Po Cha, as one, you know, who is a very ebullient, metta, kind of loving kindness, charming, uh, welcoming personality as a person. He, he was a very charming person. Then there's uh, Ajahn Mahabua, who's, who's very fierce, and gruff. So Lung Po Cha would welcome and, and Ajahn Mahabu would probably grunt or tell you to get out or do something. <laughs> and then so you think, you know, <laughs> both are supposed to be enlightened masters, but yet they manifest differently, you know, as persons, personalities. Lumpur Liam, you know, the, the head monk now in Thailand of our group in Wat Pa Pong. He's, he's, uh, he, you know, you have to go and kind of say, look at me, you know. He's, he's very reserved and kind of, he doesn't go and reach out, or at least I hear he's more so now. I mean, he used to, you know, never look at you and just, um, was very quiet. And yet he's a very wise monk. So it's just different how different people manifest. And it's not say that one is better than the other. We might prefer, you know, one to the other or, but that's not the point, is it? It's not to, you've developed a, an arahant personality. a kind of Buddha-rupa uh, inscrutability so that, you know, you just like the Buddha-rupa, you could curse at it or praise it or thing, and it, it is inscrutable. It doesn't show any emotion. <clears throat> Always calm, composed. That's a Buddha-rupa made out of bronze. 
But notice that that human beings are like this. We have faces, uh, you know, habits, tendencies, uh, manifest what we're feeling, and that can can appear on on our physiognomy, body language, because we're you know we're vibrations, we're moving, changing conditions, the bodies we have, and the the emotional habits, the vipaka kama, is not made out of bronze and marble. It's like this, it's all very sensitive. All these uh, nerve endings in the human body. You've ever seen uh, charts of nerve endings on, in the human body, it's just amazing. You know, wonder life is so, life is this way, because we're just a, a form so sensitive, so bundle of nerves, you know, about everything. It's wonder that we can ever transcend it. Just seems like we, we're just helpless victims of sensitivity and re- unrelenting impingement on these senses and these bodies from birth to death. Where the Buddha Rupa doesn't have any nerves whatsoever. <clears throat> so the Buddha Rupa is an ideal, you know, that, but we, you know, we're not made out of bronze. We have to live with this, these conditions, with nerves, with blood, with digestion. We have to digest food every day. We have to defecate and urinate. These bodies have to, you have to keep them warm when it's cold and cool when it's hot. We always have to deal with the the various functions, the organs going off or getting diseased or colds or flu or whatever. You know, the things that are blowing around in the air and and that come into these forms. So, So we could, blow all the flu germs towards the Buddha Rupa and it would not suffer one single bit. Where on a retreat, you know, like the last retreat I gave, <laughs> sitting on this platform in the retreat center and all the flu germs came right toward me. Maybe they were paying respect, I don't know. That's one way of looking at it. <clears throat> but I wish they go away rather than toward me. <laughs> uh, that's personal. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, you know, so you, is it, you have to deal with uh, germs and things you can't even see that, you know, microscopic things that are floating in the air that you can't even imagine can affect this form, where it doesn't bother the Buddha Rupa one single bit. So this might be overstating something, but it's trying to make a point of, of, you know, how do we live with these forms, these very sensitive forms, in which we're not just helpless victims of, of what's happening to them, 
because we don't have that much control over, you know, to control the environment and, and the community and, and everything around so that we're, you know, we can't live in a totally sterile environment. <clears throat> We've got to live, you know, in, the, in this place with these conditions. And then our relationship is no longer one of identity or fear or, or, you know, being caught up in the conditioned realm as, as a just helpless kind of victim of circumstances, but this ability to observe mindfulness, puto, pachubhanadhamma. So the body, the feelings, the state of mind, the Dhamma, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, Dependent Origination, the Ten Fetters, the Four Stages, all these are the kind of skillful means the Buddha left us to sort it out, to sort this, this thing out, this, this strange experience we're all having, uh, being incarcerated in this absurd form for a lifetime in a society that's very, very ignorant, in a world where there's, you know, it's never been so many people living on this planet, human beings at one time, you know, and all the rest of the environmental problems and so forth, social, international, endless conflicts and wars and, and jealousies and competitions and people demanding. Every small ethnic group now wants their own rights. You know, so you've, you've got the Basque movement, the Catalan movement, Wales and Scotland separate from England. Pretty soon it'll be Yorkshire and Lancashire, and then Hertfordshire. <laughs> and then European Union, you know, then so we all unite as one European entity but then it even increases the conflicts. Because all these different ethnic groups, uh, you know, want the rights. And so it goes on and on. You know, it, it, things change. You know, in Yugoslavia, there used to be a country called Yugoslavia. And uh, that's gone now. You know, and I never heard of the, you know, really the idea of Bosnia. It never occurred to me. Bosnia-Herzegovina. I had heard of Croatia and Serbia, but I didn't really, you know, it was all called Yugoslavia, including Macedonia, Kosovo, Montenegro, it's all in Serbia, Slovenia, Croatia. It's all Yugoslavia, only a few years ago. Now it's all broken up into different uh, Albanian minorities and on like that fighting and yelling and blaming and becoming righteous and 
resentful of things done in the past, goes on and on and on into, this is all, what, human ignorance, thinking and division, identifying with, with a particularly a, a language or a ethnic identity. Most of us wouldn't know the difference between a Croatian and a Serbian and a Bosnian. They all look the same to me. <clears throat> Just like the Welsh and the Scots and the English. To an American, they're all the same. <laughs> but uh, then, of course, the, you know, what you identify with is uh, gives you this separate identity. And just notice that whatever you identify with and grasp out of ignorance creates its opposite. There's always fear and resentment, something opposed, an alien force, an enemy, just because of this delusion of ignorance and, the, and, a, and because we were so limited by our thinking capacity, we're forced into taking sides all the time, into division. So the, the aim of, say, you, you know, not to make all the conditions equal, you've got to respect the differences, but know them as conditions from this puto knowing Dhamma rather than from me and wanting all the conditions to be equal. I would like to go back to Yugoslavia and have, you know, all the Croatians, Serbians, Kosovo, whatever they are, and Macedonians and the Bosnians, you know, all get along and be nice to each other and cooperate, help each other, love each other, support each other. That would be really nice. But why can't we do that? Because of ignorance. And is that what we have to do? You know, always be nice and try to to live on a high level of, of uh, conditioned aspiration or be liberated from ignorance. And so this is, this is getting to the root of the matter. You know, the problem is avicca and ignorance of Dhamma, not knowing we're bound into this whirlpool of conditioned phenomena, samsara with no way out. But because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. And this is the escape, awareness, mindfulness, wisdom. So now this is the end of the community retreat. Tomorrow is the Pavarana day. And so these, uh, you know, then, then uh, we go back to what we call normal life or whatever. It, it, you know, our determination to stay here for the three months has been completed. Uh, this is tradition. Uh, you know, part of a, uh, a greed uh, way of talking and behaving. So, I mean, this is, uh, 
This is tradition, it's convention. Now how we use this convention for division and for our own personal feelings or for with awareness. And so, so the relationships of the bhikkhu, thiladhara sangha, that based on competition, on envy, on identity, or on respect, gratitude. They say, well, we should mutually admonish each other is one view. <clears throat> but then in this tradition, you know, it's about the, the bhikkhus give pavarana amongst each other. And then the, the siladars give pavarana amongst themselves. This is the invitation for admonishment and advice and help. And then the, the siladar sangha gives pavarana to the bhikkhu sangha. So this is uh, because it's the bhikkhu sangha that ordains you, that gives you the bapacha. And the samaneras, anagarikas, give pavaran. Because it's the bhikkhu sangha that is the, is the one that gives the ordination. You can't become a siladhara except through the bhikkhu sangha. So it's a way of showing this respect and gratitude rather than seeing it as, as a kind of demeaning, uh, kind of resignation to male power, see it as something beautiful, as a way of saying thank you, and, and uh, as a group, rather than, uh, it's not individual. So we're not, you know, if the bhikkhus are using it as, as a way of, uh, you know, having power over the nuns, that's not the purpose. That's the misuse of it. We're not here to, you know, to um, use male uh, aggression against women. But it's, uh, it's a relationship based on respect, appreciation, which is ennobling us rather than... And, and then it gives a sense of the bhikkhu sangha, not as individual Ajahn Samed or Ajahn Majir and that kind of thing, as monks, you know, and as individuals, but as a sangha that has carried the tradition forward from the time of the Buddha to this present time. It's a way of, of uh, acknowledging that in this tradition and appreciating it. So it's a way of how you want to look at it. You know, you can, you're free to look at it any way you want. But, you know, this is, this is to me, this is the, the, a, a skillful way of looking at it because it, it ennobles us. It opens our heart. It brings beautiful qualities of gratitude uh, and appreciation. So we have these, you know, the Lumpur Shah uh, Rupa, that shrine, and then the, then Ajahn Achalo arranged to have these uh, photos of Lumpur Man and Lumpur Cha, uh, 
on the main shrine because they're the kind of what we all, you know, relate to in lineage. N none of us knew Ajahn Man. I didn't know Ajahn Man, but he died <clears throat> long before I arrived in Thailand. But Ajahn Chah, I knew very well. But uh, Ajahn Man is kind of the the kind of acknowledged patriarch of the Thai forest tradition. It was very wise and very uh, highly regarded monk. And he's not from ancient time. He died, I think, in 1950s sometime. But this is, uh, so this is a lineage, you know, uh, of, you know, we have the 28 Buddhas chant. This lineage is, uh, is, uh, is a traditional, you don't, you know, you can dismiss it or ignore it, but also it can be used with a sense of continuity from the time of the Buddha. I've always seen that this particular lineage through Ajahn Man, through the Thai forest tradition, as a kind of, it's been a, a kind of, when I first arrived in Thailand, it was the roads, uh, infrastructure of Thailand was not very developed. So the the Thai forest tradition was was just beginning to be recognized in Bangkok. You know, just they lived usually in northeast Thailand or in northern Thailand, like hermits. Or something. They were kind of outside the main the main thing of where Bangkok was the center of everything. <clears throat> and then suddenly, the king and uh, and became aware, and you know admired the forest monk, Tajan Man was, was uh, very influential in bringing into the consciousness of Thais this tradition, which is based on Bhattibhata practice, where so much of Thai Buddhism is based on Bariati, you know, on study, and learning Pali, and, and studying uh, about Buddhism. And uh, this is, uh, so this is a, uh, Lung Puman, Lung Puchao were very much on Bhattibhata practice, putting it into practice, making it work inside. And so this is like, a, to me, the real function, a kind of purity of, of this, of, from the time of the Buddha. This is what, to me, the Lord Buddha did, you know, in 2,552 years ago set forth a way of practice, not just a kind of uh, academic philosophy, but a, you know, it wasn't just an intellectual game of high-minded thinking, but it's actually very practical and putting it into practice. So this, this tradition has this kind of purity of lineage from traced through these forest monks, you, and these forest monks lived in throughout in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia, or Laos, or Thailand, usually outside the main uh, centers. We're oftentimes considered just kind of hermits or ignorant uh, monks that, you know, that were not recognized by the majority. Now this Thai forest tradition has come into consciousness internationally, worldwide. Through efforts of Ajahn Man and uh, and Ajahn Chah, 
and through mass media and the modernization of Thailand and everything else, so that the the uh, you know this tradition is no longer just remote uh, Southeast Asian up in the mountains out in the borderlands of Thailand anymore, but it's here in Hertfordshire. So it's not to be kind of worshipped as a kind of sacred tradition, uh, you know, just to kind of hold it up and say, isn't it wonderful, but to actually use it, make it work, put it into practice. So you're all a part of this tradition. You're in this lineage, the power of this ancient lineage. And like the Siladars, even though you, you know, the, uh, you may feel that you're kind of a new uh, form. Don't don't make that into an obstruction. You're because the Bhikkhu Sangha is giving you this lineage. You know this is what Bapa Cha is about. The Bhikkhu Sangha here puts you into this lineage from the you know from Ajahn Man and probably from the Buddha of ancient India. So don't, you know, this is something to, to really respect and a sense of appreciation for opportunity uh, to see, you know, this is, and how to use this lineage, this practice. It's like it's giving you this sense of use it, make it work. Don't, don't endlessly quibble about, uh, you know, the things you don't like about it or the way that you might prefer it to be, but may use it for awareness to extirpate a vita. Be free from ignorance. So today is uh, the um, <coughs> this is uh, today uh, we're releasing you from Noble silence, which you've kept assiduously, I know, during <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then tomorrow's the Pavarana day, and then the rest is the unknown, isn't it? Who goes where, what happens, and all that. But wherever, whatever happens, you know, wherever you're going. Keep this in mind, you know, the key, keep determining to remind yourself, Pachubhanatama, Puto, here and now. Trust it. No matter how many emotions about doubt and confusion you might have, don't trust that. You know, don't believe in, in your feelings. It's not to get rid of them, but to know they are dependent on other conditions. And that which is aware is your refuge. The awareness, not the feeling.